Amen. You may be seated. I hope that over the past weeks and even months that the, this body has been hearkening to the word of the Lord. That God is wanting to do something special and something great in the midst of this congregation. But hopefully also heard, though, that we're preceded by spiritual warfare, unlike before, that we're going to face some things and go through some things. But God is going to make us victorious and we're overcome all things. And just like with this message, I put this message together on Friday. By Saturday, I'm under attack. To the point I had to shake myself and come to the realization, regardless of the enemy's opposition, I can never allow it to hinder me from doing what God has called me to do. We're in a place where God is calling and assembling an army of believers to wage war against our enemies who have had their way for way too long in this last day. And he's placing callings and he's positioning the church for a victorious battle at a time when we feel like we're so outnumbered. But I declare to you, God is not fearful. God is not shaken. And God alone is enough to defeat this wicked assault. We're in a fight like never before. Many will run, but there will be a chosen remnant that will answer the call to fight. The line will be drawn in the sand and the words will resonate, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And to fight in this fight, you must count your cost because it's going to cost you something. It will be the fight of your life. Is it a fight? Yes. It's spiritual warfare like never before. Paul said it was a good fight, though, and he claimed that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And everyone that has given their heart to Christ is a part of the body of Christ. And you have entered into this fight to where your spirit wars against the flesh. We were all born into sin, making you separated from God in the need of redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were born with a carnal nature controlled by a carnal mind. And the Bible declares that a carnal mind is at enmity with God. But at salvation, you switch sides. Hello. Behold, all things became new and all things were passed away. You were born again, you were regenerated, and you were justified, and you were transformed by the renewing of your mind. But know this, even when you were carnal, though, living in sin, God loved you while you were yet sinners. He died for us. He died so that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was him who left the splendor to heaven. He came to the earth and was rejected, mocked, and beaten, and crucified on an old rugged cross to pay the penalty for our sins, not his, for he was without sin. He paid for our sins, and he purchased our lives with his blood. He came so that you and I can have life and have it more abundantly. Now that you're on God's side, your enemy, though, the devil, hates you, and he wants to destroy you while God wants to love you. The devil, the thief, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And when you accepted him as Christ as your Savior, you committed to serve him. How? By what he has called you to do. Now, someone might say, I didn't know he called me to do anything. Oh, yes, he did. He's called every single one of us saved for a purpose. He has a purpose for every one of us, and every purpose is for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Regardless of your race or your color or your social status, profession, everything we do should be done for the glory of the Lord. We all have a purpose. We all have a destiny. 
And God told Jeremiah, before you ever formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had a plan for you. And we're told that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And God has a plan and purpose for everyone. What I want to talk about is we have people tonight who have, have a call up on their lives and yet are finding themselves engaged in the fight of their life, even pinned down in one of these positions, and God wants to strengthen you to fight again. One, you're either called, but you've never answered. Fear of the call has gripped your heart, and you're paralyzed. You hear of it all the time happening in military battles, men arriving on the battlefield for the first time, and fear literally paralyzes them. Or two, you started fighting, but the battle got too large, and you found yourself outnumbered, and you retreated. You reviewed, you reviewed it in your own strength and not God's. You lost sight of who is on your side. Or three, you are still fighting, but you're getting weary and battle-torn fighting. And through this message, I want to address these issues that people are, who are called are facing. And I won't even want to bring light to why you're scared, why you retreated, and even why you're growing weary. And stress to you the importance of staying in the fight and make you aware of things that may be hindering you. Now, I'm going to go to the book of Judges, starting with chapter 6 and wind up in chapter 7. I want you to stay with me for this introduction part. Because there is a point and a place in this message where it's going to, things are going to shift. And I'm expecting the power of God to move and begin to move upon you and I in this place tonight. Let's go to the book of Judges and look at Gideon's life. Let's review what he went through in the battle of his life and how God instructed him to fight it. And let's walk briefly through chapter 6, though, to begin. And then we'll go to chapter 7 when the battle actually takes place. Chapter 6 declares that in verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them to the hands of the Midian seven years. Did you catch that? The Lord delivered them to the Midians. Who were the Midians? Their enemy. And in verse 2, and the hand of the Midians prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. In other words, when this happened, they fled to the mountains and they hid out because of fear of their enemy. Don't forget, Israel was God's chosen people. Then in verse 3, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Malachites and the children of the east, even they came up against him. Do you see how the battle raged? Not only did the Midianites, but now the Amalekites and the children of the east. The battle got too large. They were greatly outnumbered, so they retreated. And verse 4 through 11 goes on to say that their enemy had grown larger and stronger and even set up camp in their land and stole all of their crops and their cattle. And when they finally did leave, they left them with nothing. It says they destroyed the increase of the earth. And they entered the land with the intentions of destroying it. Their enemy came to kill them, steal their crops, and destroy their land. And that's what our enemy does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But while they were hid out, in other words, no one was fighting the enemy. And that's what's happening today. We got too many people who aren't fighting. And the enemy is coming in like a flood. And they're killing our children. They're stealing our stuff. And they're trying to literally destroy our nation. While we're hid out in our caves, even our church walls, and it goes on to say, Israel was greatly impoverished, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. God heard their cry and sent a prophet to them, a voice to speak to them. 
God sends a prophet to remind them of how he was the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the Egyptian bondage, and gave them this land. He is the one who set you free and defeated your enemy and declared to you that I am your God. But you have not obeyed me. In other words, they had forgotten who he was and and didn't do what he called them to do. And this is the result. Their enemy prevailed, but he tells them, fear not. And then God sends an angel of the Lord to a man who also was hid out, and his name was Gideon. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, Here's the call. The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon's first response is one of fear, to the point he refused to go. Then verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen on us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of? Verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Then as you read on, Gideon begins to make excuses. I'm nothing. My family is poor. I'm weak. He even asked God to give him a sign if this is true. So the Lord does. An angel of the Lord appeared unto him, convincing him. And the Lord says, go and I'll be with you. Then we read on where Gideon, still not having any confidence in himself, sets out a fleece not once but twice, saying, if it's your will, Lord, then do this. And then do this. And every time God showed him, the call was true, and it was for him to do. You see, when God calls you, it's not about having confidence in yourself you can do it. It's about having confidence in the one who called you that says you can do it. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And God says today to tell everyone who is called, fear not. And finally, Gideon accepts the call. And proceeds to obey the Lord. He began by tearing down the altar of Baal. And he built an altar unto the Lord. Gideon obeyed God and did as instructed. But upon doing so, Gideon had engaged in the battle of his life. The enemy was outraged. And when they rose in the morning and even seen what he had done, they threatened Gideon. And Gideon was now in the fight of his life. You begin to proceed in your calling and start tearing down the works of the enemy. Get ready. It will not go unnoticed, and the enemy is coming after you. Spiritual warfare will arise, but you must remain in the fight and not retreat. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? See, the enemy wanted to find Gideon, and they wanted to kill him. Verse 33 says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east assembled once again to attack Gideon. Now Gideon, upon seeing this great army, inquired of the Lord asking him to tell him whether they will defeat the great army or not. And God assured him he was with him. So Gideon goes and he gathers many men as he can. Even upon gathering all he can, he was still greatly outnumbered. And to those who have retreated because your enemy got too big, get back in the fight because God has called you and God is with you. It's time to fight again, to quit looking at who's against you and realize who is with you. Now, I really want to spend some time talking to those who are in the fight and are weary. I want to go to chapter 7 now. Gideon gathers all the people he could. Listen, though, how God instructs him to fight. In verse 2, the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Now, listen to God's thinking process. God was saying, Gideon, you got too much going for you for me to bless you. 
you got too much of an advantage for me to bless you. You see, Gideon was thinking the more, the merrier. I'm needing to need everybody for this one. Most of us think we can't do anything without a crowd. If we can't get everybody to do it, then we can't do it. And God says, Gideon, you got too many to bless you. Now, let's read on and see his reasoning for this. He says, lest Israel vaunts themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. And the Lord is saying, if I bless you with all the advantages, you'll think you did it, and I got news for you. The battle you're fixing to go through, you're not going to win without my help. And I want you to know that it was I who blessed you. I delivered Israel from Egypt, and it wasn't long until they forgot it. And God is speaking that to our hearts today. He, too, has delivered you and me from our sins. Have we forgot what he has done for us? Have we forgot he helped us and now have an obligation to help God? This is the reason Israel has found itself in this situation. He saved them from the Egyptians' bondage for a reason, not just to sit around and get fat and get lazy. So God chose to change the equation to where when they get the victory, they'll know it's only by God's grace and power they were able to defeat their enemy. So let's read verse 3. God tells Gideon, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. He said, Let them go. Now upon telling them this, the Bible says, And their return, in other words, left, of the people 22,000, and now there only remain 10,000. Folks, 22,000 were scared, and they went home. Two-thirds of the people who had originally lined up with him, the ones who said, I got your back, they ran at the thought of this battle, at the thought this could cost them something. And when it came down to commitment to really do something about it, when it came time for the rubber to meet the road, they said, see ya. Have you ever had that happen? I've seen people sit around and talk big. But when the fighting really starts, you look around and it can be pretty lonely. You find out real quick who, who is all talk and no action. I've seen two people going to fight, spend more time talking about what they're going to do to one another than actually fighting. And many times, neither one of them were ever willing to fight. They start making excuses. Well, it's a good thing you wear glasses or I'd whip you right now. Talk is cheap. Action speaks louder than words. Mention something. Everybody has a good idea how to do it. I tell you what I do. I wouldn't put up with that one minute. But when it comes showtime or times get a little rough, they say, see ya. With a thousand excuses why they can't help you. 22,000 people that day said, see ya. And only 10,000 left now. That means they had 32,000 to start with. We've now we got 22,000 evacuees. That's a pretty rough blow to a congregation. 22,000 just making noise. They didn't have a heart for what he was doing. See in the church all the time. 600 people come in shouting and praising, singing the old song, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And they amen the preacher. And when he talks about winning the city, and when Monday rolls around, they go and hide. And only about 20 people will go out and actually evangelize. Can't get more than five people to work in the nursery. 
Can't get more than three people to drive the bus so people can get to church. 600 people making noise. Only a certain percent of them, though, are taking action. You'd be surprised how many people just make noise but don't have the heart to do what you're trying to do. That's what's wrong with the church. That's why we can't change things. That's why we've lost our voice and we're slowly losing our identity. I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm sharing some facts. Try to oppose something detrimental to our community. Can't get 50 people to a meeting, but they'll clap and applaud you for your efforts. But if it requires them to face the opposition face-to-face, see ya. Pull out our excuses. Figured you had plenty. If I would have known that's all you had, I would have come. Was that this week? I simply forgot. The real problem is you didn't truly believe in what we were trying to do. We've got to be united in our efforts. 10,000, though, now left. But notice he didn't argue with the 22,000 that wanted to leave. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't try to convince them to stay. He didn't beg them to stay. He didn't even offer any concessions if they would stay. He let them go. He still had work to do regardless. He allowed them to go back to their level of faith. He knew this was not a fight for the fearful. The battle was getting worse. Their stuff, and it was, they're trying to get their stuff back from the enemy, which he had stolen. And to do that, it meant fighting for it. The battle was not based on spending your time trying to straighten out somebody out who should have been with you who wasn't. Let them go. This is going to be new words for some of you, I know. One of the hardest things to do for believers and good, kind-hearted people is to let folks go. We've been trained to never let them go. And as a result, too many people have never gone and done anything for God because they spent all of their time trying to get somebody to go with them who don't want to go where they're going. This world is full of churches like that. God speaks to the pastor, gives him a vision, and the church doesn't want to go there. So he spends years trying to convince them to go, and the result is they never went anywhere. And as a result of them not wanting to fulfill their call, we have ministers, more often than you know, leaving churches so frustrated. As believers, we are trained not to let go. I'm not talking about letting go those who have the vision. We want to do everything possible to retain them. I'm talking about those who have their own agenda that is contrary to the call of the church. Who are only here for their self-interest and not the call of God that has been put on this church. If they're not with us, folks, you've got to let them go. This doesn't only pertain to the church tonight. It's the same application to your workplace, to your relationships. You know, and particularly women struggle with this because you're nurturers by nature. You nurse the sick folks. You take in broken babies. You help anybody help to read, help people to walk. So when you get something dysfunctional, you won't get rid of it. You're going to try to fix it. You're going to nurture it and make it better. You can see something in them nobody else saw in them. But here's what we end up with. Pastor, he may have a sin problem, but deep down inside, he's really a nice guy. And if he only had the right woman in his life... He may have had two other wives, but I bet I can straighten him out. They didn't give him what I can give him. Happens all the time. I say they better let the joker go. You'll spend years of struggle, 
heartaches in a painful relationship, trying to make, take someone who doesn't want to be or go somewhere you want him to go. The first sign of conflict or asking him to be more responsible, hard times come. And he will run again from the responsibilities of the relationship like he did the first two times. Unless God is in it, it doesn't work. You know, and man, we do it too. She's got three kids and a cocaine habit, and six months later, you're broke and addicted too. I'm not saying don't ever get involved with someone who has issues. I'm talking about when entering into a relationship, when you both have got to be committed to it. You can't be wanting to live in the White House, and she wants to live in a crack house. You want to live for the Lord, and he wants to live for the world. You're not to be unequally yoked. If both of you aren't in it for each other, if both of you don't want to go to the same place, you're actually going no place. And those types of relationships hinder people all the time from reaching their destinies, reaching their careers, and reaching their callings. People who've planned their whole life in a certain direction start hanging out with the wrong crowd, never reaching their potential or their calling. I could probably go around this room and ask, what do you do? And many of you will say, well, I always wanted to be a, uh, but I'm the checkout girl at the convenience store. There's nothing wrong with being a checkout girl at a convenience store. But what is wrong, what hindered you from being who God called you to be? Expiring to be a broker on Wall Street. But now you're sleeping on the park bench homeless. What happened? There was a bad connection somewhere. And Gideon let them go. 22,000 people. Our nature would be spend time trying to convince them to go fight a fight they don't want to fight, that they are afraid to fight. We would probably just shut down the operation, but not Gideon. Not by his own insight, though, but by the instruction of the Lord. When you're fighting a battle, you, can tr you can't just trust God with just what you agree with. You must follow his full instructions. You get in a fight with your enemy, God says to do this, okay. Then God says do this, okay. Then God says to do this, and you say, uh-uh. You're going to have a problem. You must fully trust him. Let him go because you can't fight a battle with people who aren't with you. If they are not committed, don't have the passion or the faith, that's where we go wrong. Trying to keep people in positions that they don't have the commitment or the passion to do the job. We also want to take those around us with us. And too many times, the very ones around us keeping us from going and doing what God has called us to do. Keeping them around when they don't want to be and with you, you're asking for calamity. Sometimes it's better to decrease, to downsize to a few folks who really means business. I'd rather have 20 committed than 80 uncommitted. I'll get more accomplished with the 20. It's better to have fewer than to be tied up with folks that you have to give them a back rub every time they show up on Monday morning to get them to come to work. When you're really re get ready to fight, you got to let some people go, those who aren't committed to the fight. So verse 4, let's read. 10,000 left. Stay with me. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for you there. In other words, God says, Gideon, I'm going to test them for you. I'm going to put them to a test to show you who to keep and who else to let go. Now, I'm sure in Gideon's mind, 10,000 was a small group compared to his enemy. 
But Gideon continued to trust God. And God goes on to tell Gideon, after the test, take who I tell you to take and leave who I tell you to leave. Let me say right here to some people, I don't know what all's going, God's got planned for you, but he's fixing to streamline you. Because everybody can't go where you're fixing to go. You got to cut some folks loose that have held you back too long. Because God's fixing to take you somewhere you've never been before. And you can't go because of the crowd you're hanging out with. Now understand where Gideon is. Remember how large his enemy is, the Malachites, the Midianites, and the people from the east. If ever there was a time Gideon won everybody in the fight, I assure you it was now. Because you got at least three different nations fighting you. You can't even number them because there's so many. And right at the moment you're fixing to fight your greatest fight, Gideon is losing his support. And so are some of you in the greatest fight of your life, and you're losing your support. And here you are still fighting, but now you're starting to faint, to grow weak. When you feel like you need people the most, they're not there. They're not as close as you thought. Somebody in this room is up against something you've never been up against before in your life. And it's at the worst possible time in your life to be going through this. And because you've got a problem right now, gives you a disadvantage. To think that with all that you've got going on right now, you have to deal with this. On top of everything else that's going on in your life, it's just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it did. You thought you were just facing the Midianites, but then the Amalekites showed up. And then on top of that, the people from the east showed up. It's bad enough. I'm a single mom. But now the cars tore up. And on top of that, my sister just called. And now my mom's got cancer. And you don't know how to deal with this one. Had you had to fight this battle two years ago, you'd been in a whole lot better shape. But now, at your worst time, when you just declared the other day that you can't take no more, when the money is funny, when your kids are acting crazy, when you can't get a job, and then now you're fighting this devil, why didn't he jump on you when you had all of your stuff, when you had all of your health, when you had all your finances and things were good, because you would have praised yourself for the victory. And God wants you in a predicament where you know, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I never would have made it. Because it's his desire to show himself strong on your behalf. To show you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. To show you he's your very present help in times of trouble. To show you you can cast your cares of him because he cares for you. To show you greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. To show you his mighty acts. To show you that if God be for you, who can be against you? Too many times we're always praying, God, I want to know you in a greater way. Well, you're not going to know just how big he is or just how great he is until you find yourself in a greater situation. See, it don't take much faith to believe he can heal a headache. But it's when he shows up after the doctor says you got six months to live and you go back for another scan and they say we don't know how, but it's gone. You know how. You know how great he is then. How much greater will you perceive him then? Or else we get ourselves so dependent upon ourselves to where we feel we have no need of God. And then we allow circumstances to arise where you need him and turn to turn back to him. He turned Israel over to their enemy when they abandoned their relationship with him. And church, he loves us too much to let us fall away, fall into sin, which leads to destruction for our lives. 
He will show you right quick that without him, you can do nothing. And some of you don't know just how big he is. You haven't been through much. It's been small enough you've been able to work your way through it. Do it in your own self. Just work through it, you believe. Just work a little overtime this week to pay for it. But some of you know what it's like when it has the very appearance that it's over. When the deadline has passed, when the last dollar's been spent, when the last report says it's still there, but suddenly, seemingly, out of nowhere, a great big God shows up with power and healing in his wings, with provision and with deliverance. And he causes water to flow out of a rock for you when you're thirsty. He commands the ravens to feed you when you're hungry. He causes a donkey to speak with you, to guide you. He ambushes your enemy to deliver you. He causes chains to fall off in the midnight hour to free you. He shuts the lion's mouth to defend you. He steps into the fire to be with you. And he turns the bitter water into sweet water. Hallelujah. And as a result of his presence, you become an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the words of your testimony. Can anybody in here say, I've been there and God's done those things in my life. And through those encounters, I've learned that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And whoever I'm preaching to tonight, the odds are stacked against you. You feel like life's picking on you. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't focus because of the battle. You're walking around on eggshells. You're wondering what's next, just how bad can it get. You're praying for, you're preparing for your surrender. You've been fighting, but you're about to faint. You're so up against it, it looks ridiculous. To the point, how in the world am I going to do anything for God while I got all these problems? How am I going to go from point A to point B? Even asking God, why would you ever place something in my heart to do for the kingdom of God, knowing I would end up like this? God, why would you call me to do something great on Sunday, knowing all hell is going to come against me on Monday? Why would you wait till now to call me, God, when I can't help myself, let alone somebody else? Why would you wait till I get to this age, God? Why not when I was younger? Why at this stage in my life? I got kids now. How am I going to do something for you when you know Charlie just left me for another woman? Well, he sent me to tell you your setback is just a setup to bring you back up. For God to show you just how big he really is in your life. That your circumstances are not unto death, but they're just simply for God to get glory through your life. Just like it was when God's good friend Lazarus. That same resurrection power that raised Lazarus from the dead is the same resurrection power that's going to raise you up. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And after he takes you through what you're going through, you'll have a greater awareness of just who he is and an understanding that he's on your side, just who it is that sustains you, just who it is that provides for you, just who it is that protects you, and just who it is that really fights for you. You'll come to know that he sticks closer than a brother. You'll come to understand that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus will be the one friend you can count on all the time, not just sometimes. 
regardless who runs out on you, he will always be there. And God's telling Gideon, I'm going to give these people around you a simulated test for you to get an opportunity to observe the people who are with you and how committed they are to you. We all need to know some, know some th- these things, though. God takes us through things that aren't always about you. If we can get a hold of that, if we would have, could have such greater understanding of God's plans, everything we go through is not always for us. Many times it's for someone else to show them something about God. I've been there personally myself. I've gone through some things thinking it was about me when it was to show somebody else something through my trials or to reach somebody else through them. And God says, Gideon, it's for you to look at who's with you and what you're working with. It's just a test for them to show you something. Just a test like the emergency broadcasting system. If this would have been an actual experience. What you go through sometimes is not an actual experience. It is a God-controlled, instituted test for you to evaluate the strength and integrity of who you got with you and to get you prepared for what's coming. God will not only test you, he will test those around you. Even cause circumstances to happen, to test them in front of you, to reveal something to you about them. Are you following me? To put it plainly, he will do it to expose the true colors. Just to test. Don't you know that's why no weapon formed against you shall prosper? It's just a test to show you what you got. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put to the test. They responded to it by saying they served Jehovah. And they said, we will not bow down. They found themselves in a situation that tested that faith. They didn't bow down. And God showed up in the midst of the fire. They were never harmed. They passed with flying colors. And through it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found out they were all on the same page, and neither of them wavered. Not a one of them caved in or bowed down. When they came face to face with their enemy, what a team. They found out that they can trust God, and they found out they could trust one another. Then verse 5, here's the test. So they brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that laugheth out of the water water, with their tongue, as a dog laugheth, set them by themselves. And everyone that bows down on his knees to drink, put them somewhere else. So here's what we got. We had 9,700 that bowed on their knees. And you had only 300 that lapped the water like a dog. And guess who God chooses to use? He said, Gideon, by the 300 that lapped, will I save you? The 300, not the other 9,700, that must have blew Gideon's mind. He surely must have said, do what? And God said, take these 300 and let the others go. Why? The one lapping like a dog, he's drinking, but he's still looking. You ever seen a dog lap water? But this guy here has bowed down. He's just trying to get the water. He don't have his mind on anything else. He's forgotten about the enemy, the issues at hand. He's just trying to satisfy his own need. He's all about him and no one else. 
You cannot use this kind of individual in a fight because they're always consumed with their own needs, with what's in it for me. They'll give up on the battle to get the water. But this guy, by how he's drinking, says, I need the water, but I'll keep my eyes open to see what's going on around me. So now only 300 of the 32,000 had what it took to go the distance because they were lapping like a dog. You may have to own a dog maybe to understand this better. What do we say about a dog? He's man's best friend. You see, when a dog is drinking, eating, he's also looking. You ever try to mess with a dog when he's eating or drinking? What will he do? He'll growl at you. Now he's down to 300 men. This looks like a ridiculous battle. The enemy's got some 300,000, and we got 300 dog lappers. And God says to Gideon, now you're ready to fight. You got a team. You're all on the same page. There's unity. No big eyes, no little U's. All are willing to fight and do their part. They believe in the fight. They believe it's worth fighting for. They believe even if I can't, even, <clears throat> excuse me, they believe in if I can put, a, one can put 1,000 to fly, they believe the two can put 10,000 to fly. How many can 300 people put to flight? By faith believing. I've come to tell some people God wants to give some people a ridiculous victory. When all the odds are against you, when they say, you won't amount to nothing. When they say, you're finished. When everything seems totally impossible. When it's been dead for four days and it stinks. When the doctor says, you got a short while left. It is then that God's resurrection power and life wants to show up and show your enemy just who you're fighting for. And God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He wants you to decrease so he can increase. He wants to show you that all things are possible with God. You haven't had a great victory until you've had one that intimidates people who have more than you do. I want to say that again. You haven't had a great victory until you have a victory that's intimidated people that have more than you do. And they say to you, how in the world could a man or a woman like you end up in a position like this? I've worked here 10 years and they gave you the manager's job only after two years. I've been in this church 20 years, and they chose you for that position, and you've only been here two years. Now, I know they had to say that about me. I know it still probably happens today. Because church, people that knew me back then, if they hear about what I'm doing now, I'm sure 99% of them, their reaction is going to be, you got to be kidding me. How in the world did he get to where he is today? They'll wonder how in the world did I get from the bar room to the throne room? And when they ask me, how did this happen, I just answer by doing this. And that's how God wants you to stand up against your problems, against the attack coming against you. He wants you to get down and deal and keep your eyes open because the battle's not yours. It belongs to God. And God's going to give you the victory. Getting in those 300 men with God on their side defeated a 300,000-man army that day, took back their stuff, and set their people free from the enemy. Another thing about dogs, they run in packs. So if you're going to get the victory, you're going to have to surround yourself with the right people because other people who are also willing to can stop spending all your time fussing with people who left you 
or threatening to leave if they don't get their way. That's what's wrong with them. They're selfish. You don't have time to argue with them and beg them back. you got a call to answer. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, count your costs, take up your cross, forsake everything around you. If people aren't willing to follow you, you're just going for a walk. Let them go. They weren't committed for, and that what makes you think if you beg them back, they're going to be committed. If you beg them back, you'll spend all your time and energy begging them to stay. And you'll end up compromising your call and your vision to fit their needs. Instead of doing what God has called you to do, and you'll fail and you'll wonder why. Now, I'm going to rock some of you with this next statement about those that don't fight with you. Hear this. God is still going to bless them because of you. Now, you may not like that. Jonah didn't like it. He answered the call, went to Nineveh to tell his enemy to repent so they would be spared. And in them doing so, God spared them and blessed them. Did you catch? I said his enemy. Jonah was furious over it. God is going to use you and your nature as a forerunner to win the victory. And people are going to end up better because of you. Why? They were not chosen to play the role you're going to play. That's why they're fearful. That's why they had their heads down. But you, you are a part of a chosen generation. You are a leader that God has chosen. You're special. You're the anointed one. And God puts something in your nature. You're tenacious, and you won't quit until you get the job done. God put it in you so he knows this about you. So that's why he chose you, not he didn't choose Sam or Kevin or Charlie, but he told, chose you to lead the fight. Just like he chose the 12 disciples, he chose you. And if you think everybody has to do what you're trying to do, and if they're not willing to, you don't do it, then you're never going to do what you're called to do. God don't call quitters. The calling is without repentance. He didn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And if God called you, you can't quit. Just because all hell's breaking loose, just because you lost your job, just because of your age, just because you've been lied on, just because you've been discouraged, just because you went bankrupt, just because you're crying yourself to sleep night after night, just because of your circumstances, whoever I'm ministering to you, you are a tenacious person. You're getting beat up. You're getting punched on. You feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. You feel like you're going nowhere. But something inside of you won't let you quit. Something keeps rising up on the inside of you. You keep getting back up. You're scared, but you keep going. You're broke, but you're still fighting. You've been knocked down, but even on the ground, you're still swinging. You're still shouting, though he slay me, I will trust him. They may beat you up, but they can't shut you up. It's not about whether I get knocked down. It's about whether I get back up. That's who you are individually, uniquely created by your creator. Am I preaching to anybody? Come on, who are you? I've been lied on, but I'm still fighting. I've been through hell, but I'm still fighting. You had to move out of the bigger house into a smaller house, but I'm still fighting. I had to ask somebody to give me a ride to church, but I'm still fighting. I had to borrow from my neighbor, but I'm still fighting. I'm raising my kids all by myself, but I'm still fighting. I'm working two jobs, but I'm still fighting. I had to sign up for food stamps, but I'm still fighting. I'm still fighting, but I'm about to faint. Then you're the one that God's talking to tonight. Because I know there's some Gideons in here. 
being called by God to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from you. Maybe you've been fearful, but God's not giving up on you. He's not giving the spirit of fear, but of power, love, a sound mind. And it's time to answer the call. Maybe you started in the fight and the enemy overwhelmed you and you quit fighting. Today's the day to get back in the fight. Just got placed in ministry and all hell broke loose in your life. That don't surprise us around here. You got to get connected with the right people. Maybe you've been in this fight against all odds. One battle after another and you're fainting. I say be not weary in well-doing. For if you faint not, you will reap. Fight the fight. Paul said it was a good fight. Why should you fight? For there is henceforth laid up for you a crown of righteousness. So you will hear the words from your heavenly father when the battle's over. Well done, thy good and faithful son. There's people who are going to have to realize you're going to have to leave some crowds, leave some things behind. Those people and things that hinder you from feeling God's call for your life. If we're going to do something significant for the kingdom of God, Fulfill our vision. We're going to have to be in one mind, in one accord. Then suddenly, a sound of a mighty rushing wind will hit this place. And the fire of God will rest upon our heads. And we'll run out of this room into the streets. And we'll proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community. And God says, don't get caught up in numbers, but be united. Because we can do all things. Don't worry about being outnumbered. He says, I'd rather have committed people than a hundred half-hearted people. Because if God be for us, congregation, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God says, I will raise up a standard. Remember, in the upper room, there was 400 when it began. And it dwindled down to 120. But when the 120 got in one accord, the power of God fell upon them. And suddenly there was a sound. That's what I believe. When we get in one accord that suddenly the power of God's going to hit this place and there's going to be a sound coming from the palace of praise flowing into the streets of our community, a sound in the mulberry trees, one of victory. And God just sent me by tonight to tell you, keep fighting and to lay hands on the people and he will restore your strength. You've been fighting, but you're fainting. And God says, let him strengthen you tonight. Because you're made more than a conqueror. And God's calling those who won't give up, who won't back up. And if that's you and you're here tonight, I want you to stand to your feet because God wants to renew your strength. Would you stand with me, please? Musicians, come. It's not a time to be scared, it's not a time to quit. It's a time to answer the call. And if we want God, what God has promised, it's time for this body to come into one mind and one accord. It's time for us to come into unity, regardless how many we have here. We can do what God called us to. God knows how many. He knows how many are here. But we've got to understand what God wants to do, God wants to do. And God chooses to do it with us. There's going to be troubles and trials. It's going to be one thing after another. You're going to be attacked. You're going to go through things. And some of you have been, and you're going through things, and you're going through things, and you've gone through things, and you're still going through things.
And we're all going to face those things. But the key to it is we've got to know what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the kingdom of God. And we cannot let anything, any opposition, stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute. The call tonight is to the church. It's for God to have an opportunity to strengthen the church. We're going to need God's strength. We won't do this in our strength. It's going to take God. What God has called each and every one of you to do individually. You'll not do it in your own strength. It'll take God's strength to help you to do what he's called you to do. It'll take God's strength for this church to do what God's called it to do. And we can't stop fighting. This is too important. We're at a very critical place in what God's wanting to do in the body of Christ. But we've got to be willing to fight. We've got to be willing to do what God's called us to do. So I want to just reach out to you by the word of the Lord. If you need to be strengthened, the altars are open. I call you to the altars tonight. I call this body to the, to the altars to let God strengthen you to do what he's called you to do. You've been weary. You've been worried. You've been through things. You've been through battles. You're in a battle. Would you come and join these others that are coming now? Come and let God strengthen you. Let him make you strong. So many times we wait till we're in the battle to want God's strength. I believe we're in a place that God wants to strengthen you and prepare you for the battle that's coming. You haven't gone through what you're going to go through yet. But you'll sure go through it a lot better if you let God come tonight and let God strengthen you. So open these altars to you. Many are coming. I open it to this church to come. Let's strengthen ourselves. Let's strengthen our lives. Let's strengthen our spirits. And let God be God, if he would. I'd like to also have some prayer warriors come and help pray with those who come. Brother John, you go, go ahead, please, and worship. Tell mountains they must fall and they fall. You tell oceans to be still and they're calm. You tell sickness in
tell fear it has no place it must go Standing on, you're the God. 
every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, please. Father, right now, by the grace of God, I pray over this congregation, God. I pray for every man, woman, and child. Everyone in this congregation that is engaged in your call, in your plan, in the work of the kingdom. God, I pray a hand of protection to be over everybody's life. I pray that they'll arise and shine and their enemies will be scattered. I pray that for the plots and the plans that the enemy has, that God, you'll cancel the assignments. And that God, we trust you in everything. We ask you, God, to lead the way, to guide us, to direct us, God. Because we are confident of this very thing, that if you're for us, none can be against us. And we're confident that, God, that you're our very present help in times of trouble. We're confident that we can run to you. And God, we believe that you will rescue us. Father, I pray pronounce blessing over this congregation. I pronounce blessing over the church, over the people. And God, I pray that your will be done in this body as you have called it, God, to greatness, to advance the kingdom of God, for your glory, we give you praise. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.